0: every Monday on The Radiator 105.9 FM WOMMLP Burlington, Vermont. I'm Shayla Shapiro and Write the Book is a show for writers and curious readers. Write the Book features interviews with authors, poets, illustrators, agents, and editors. Today on Write the Book you'll hear an interview with local poet Stephen Kramer. Stephen Kramer's first book of poems, Shiva's Drum, was selected by Grace Shulman for the National Poetry Series and published by University of Illinois Press. His second, Tongue and Groove, was also released by University of Illinois. His newest book, From the Hip, Brief History of Hip-Hop in Sonnets, was published by Windridge Press in 2014. His work has appeared in journals such as American Poetry Review, African American Review, Harvard Review, Yale Review, Atlanta Review, Green Mountains Review, and Hayden's Ferry Review. He's currently polishing up a fourth collection of poetry with the help of a grant from the Vermont Arts Council. Stephen Kramer teaches writing and literature at the University of Vermont and lives with his wife and daughter in Burlington. I began our interview by asking him to talk about hip-hop as a subject for the sonnet. I also asked if it was fun playing with rhythm differently because of the subject matter.
1: One of the things that excited me about this project was just the idea of taking an old art form, 800-year-old form of the sonnet, and bringing it into the 20th and 21st century. Uh, There's a certain pleasure in taking that old form and and, uh, um, applying it to something new that hasn't been written about before. You know, um, I think about uh, I do this with my students a lot. We, um, I ask them when we write haikus and yeah. sonnets in class. Um, I say, you know, Basho was brilliant at writing haikus. He's the best, you know. But there's no way he could have written a haiku about a cell phone or about, you know, um, the current president of the, United, of the United States, you know. And so um, that's your material. That's our material. And so I feel like it's uh, it's fun to uh, bring these two forms together and. Bring the 21st century to this this old form.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, What rules of the sonnet did you stick to, and what did you... I know you you mentioned in your preface that you reinvented the sonnet a tiny bit, or you refitted it.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, every poem has 14 lines. Um, Every once in a while, I break it up into 28 lines, so um, just uh, to uh, mix up the pagination a little bit and make it look a little bit different. Um, But I always have seven sets of rhymes, So, um, you know, the traditional Shakespearean sonnet would have, uh, three quatrains. A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, and then a couplet, G, G. Um, a number of the poems in this book, um, follow that exact form. Uh, but I also, I'm very, very loose with it. So, as long as there are seven rhymes at the end of, (laughs) at the end of the 14, um, lines, uh, I kind of let it go a little bit. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, I wanted to see where the, poems went you know and I think that uh so I allowed myself a little bit of leeway here and there I also allowed myself leeway with um uh syllable count and the lines so traditionally you want to keep close to 10 and I kept close to 10 but um I don't think I allowed myself to go down to seven but certainly there are some eights in there and some (laughs) 12s you know 12 syllables per line so yeah I, I loosened it up a little bit okay
0: cool um Now, you chose to present these in historical context, chronologically, um, starting in about 1975. So did you ever play with any other structure, or did you you just feel like that was the most natural way to present this, because it was sort of a history as it was?
1: Yeah, um, actually, that's uh, the first uh, seven poems that I wrote, uh, I had no idea that I was going to be doing a full book of this uh, from the get-go. The first um, seven I wrote were uh, the Beastie Boys sonnets in there, um, and there are seven Beastie Boys albums, and so it made sense for me to do one song from each album. Right. Um, and I did them, and then I, I couldn't stop writing sonnets, you know. Right. And I just these forms—they just get into your bloodstream, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I was just thought to myself, how can I make it so I can write a lot more of these things, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I've got this whole history of hip hop before me. Let's let's go, you mm-hmm. know. And so uh, so I started with those. Uh, and started filling in the gaps, and uh, it was really fun to go back to the roots of the music and uh, um, you know the Beastie Boys, Run DMC, these earlier rappers, you know, right. and even uh, uh, DJ Cool Herc and these really founders of the of the uh, genre. Um, which I knew nothing about, so that was fun to yeah. discover and learn about. Well, see, that's the part I knew about, you know, I have fallen off the map a little bit recently, and I had to do research for some of the more contemporary uh, rappers out there, which was really fun. Uh, like... Kanye West is somebody who I'd never really investigated before and, you know, had heard some of his songs but never really got into uh, um, a lot of his music. Uh, Jay-Z, I think I can, uh, you know, I could have, I know, two or three songs. And so it was interesting to get more into their work and see, you know, what made them tick and how could they fit into this project a little bit.
0: Right. Um, Now, was there anybody that you really wished you could have included that you couldn't include just because of, I don't know,
1: Okay. Absolutely. Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean I was like, no blondie rapture.
1: There's no blondie I know, Raptor I here. know. I, well, you know, the biggest group that I really wanted, I love a tribe called Quest. Yeah. And I have Right you mentioned that in the preface, right? I tried to write so many tribe <laughs> sonnets, uh I mean, I don't know, six or seven maybe, um, and they just never came together and it just made me so sad. So I feel like there's some room for uh, continuing this project, yeah, you know, down the line, but uh, yeah, I would say um, I did end up making a list of the people who I or the r- groups that I absolutely wanted to have on there, and not everybody made it. Not you know? everybody could. So yeah, <laughs> okay.
0: I wondered if you could read the Apache Loop, uh, which is uh, DJ Cool
1: Herc. Is that right? Or cool, yep. right? DJ Cool Herc, 1975. Absolutely, uh, sure. The Apache Loop. While twilight settles in the trees, Herc sets up two turntables and shoves the amp's plug directly into the city's current as it bolts through the base of a lamppost. The crowd gathers and he unsheathes his vinyl, two copies of bongo rock, and starts cutting back and forth so quickly between the two tables and the continuous circuit of breaks that the B-Boys gasp for breath and his fingers blur. He drains so much juice that the lamp's gleam stutters, strobing the night as it flickers and dims to the beat but not even Herc dreamed that whole cities in days to come would black out to this endless loop of drums
0: great I love that that was such a great opening thanks
1: there's no video footage of him doing
0: that right? that's right
1: that's so it's right.
0: just something it was spontaneous yep. nobody knew it was going to become anything and it was
1: just a party right? absolutely yep yep Yeah. Uh, and so it was fun uh, doing uh, this kind of research was fun too right. I did watch a lot of videos <laughs> yeah. um, but um uh, yeah, it's fun to kind of go through and hear the lore of you know it almost becomes a mythology how sure. this art form began and so uh, it was uh, great to immerse myself in that a little bit. Yeah, you
0: know? well, that was I enjoyed that opening poem to the to the collection too. Thanks. Um, so it struck me, and we sort of touched on this, that these poems are about the videos almost as much as they are about the songs. Yes. And video was sort of a new f- art form at the time, too, right? Like Absolutely. Like MTV gets started in the 80s, maybe? I mean... 70s?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. I'm, I'm trying to imagine another genre that grew up with the video, you know? Yeah, right, and right. so uh, there's, you know, there are uh, DJ Kool Herc and... Uh, um, you know, some of these early guys did not have videos, but most of them, the early ones, did, Which and are, so some of them
0: are hilarious,
1: and they are hilarious you <laughs> go back to them. And there, but you know, it's it's fun. I mean, there's a time before this badass persona in yeah. rap, you know, um, yeah. when it is just fun. And I think right. about um, Run DMC. Yeah, they said they're tougher than leather, but they're some nice guys, yeah. you know. And <laughs> now.
0: I'm trying to think, is that the one with Penn and Teller, on DMC? Yes. That was hilarious. Yeah. And that's, like, really lighthearted, yep. that whole, like, story that they tell in the video. Yep, yep. That yep. song. That's fun. <laughs> um, have you sent the collection to any of the musicians that are featured in these sonnets?
1: Uh, let's see. I have sent to... Um the Beastie Boys, yeah, oh, <laughs> uh, yes, or at least uh, to their record company in an attempt to get it to them. I'm not sure if it uh, ever made it to them. I haven't heard from anybody. Um, uh, I think that's it, though. Yeah, yeah. That's too bad that they wouldn't have gotten back. I it? know. <laughs> you know, actually, I did try to get in touch with Run of Run DMC. Yeah, and didn't hear back either. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, who knows? Maybe they'll, uh, this book will find its way into their hands sometime. Yeah. But
0: yeah. You need somebody else to write to them and say, "Hey, have you heard?" That's theory? right. Awesome. Yeah,
1: you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> <I'll> do that. <laughs>
0: um, so, did you have any rules for yourself about how you defined hip hop as you chose works?
1: <sighs> That's an interesting question. Because <laughs> um, I was
0: wondering, like, about like you know, certainly a lot of this is rap hip hop blend in first of all, what are what are those lines?
1: Okay. So uh hip hop is more uh lifestyle and so hip hop includes rap as one of its um uh parts, you know, and uh along with um break dancing <laughs> and uh, graffiti art right. and scratching, you know? Uh scratching records. So um hip hop is a kind of broader term that rap falls under that term you know yeah and so uh so i mean i, I think i was pretty um loose with the definition i didn't do blondie <laughs> as you said but uh but uh um i tried to keep it as broad as possible to get as many different kinds of sounds into yeah. the book as, as possible
0: it's funny because rapture is a song that i actually really liked but watching her do it on the video i'm like she's kind of she's not <laughs> she's not grooving yeah yeah she's like i do Um, Okay, some of the sonnets are a dialogue between two people, which was really fun. So, for example, The Human Beatbox. um, Do you want to read that one? Sure, yeah.
1: All right. Uh, The Human Beatbox. This is the Fat Boys, 1984. Uh, Two fans speak. Are you sure that's just his mouth? It sounds like the cross between a scratch record and a mule in heat. I'm telling you, the man, alongside guys like Doug E. Fresh is a bona fide pioneer. Uh, of what? Eating his weight? He looks more like the human beef box. I don't mean to be cold, but the guy's heading for a heart attack. He slaps him over the head with a rolled-up newspaper. Shut up, man. Ain't nothing funny about heart attacks. And, yeah, that's his mouth. The man backs away. Ow, that really hurt. Still, you gotta admit, the truth is, those guys are big. Uh, I've seen guys larger than that, but I've never seen a group so fat. Great. <laughs> yeah, I had to play off the word fat there. If I didn't exactly. do it somewhere in this book, uh, I would have hurt myself, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, so how did you come up with the idea of a dialogue as part of a? Because uh, there's a few of those, and they're really fun. Always. Yep. I think I'm going to ask you to read another one later. but. Um.
1: Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I like the idea of a dialogue. I'm, uh, you know, I guess I think I'm interested in bringing a conversational tone to the sonnet you know and uh, there are plenty of brilliant sonnets that have been written in a really kind of high English you know high diction Um, but I really wanted to uh, bring it down to a street level where um, it could just be two guys talking on the street as they always would Um, and uh, I don't know it also gave me some ways to break up the sonnets on the page a little bit differently you know give a little bit more different um, space between the lines Um, I like a lot of white on the page for this project not necessarily for other books I've written but I feel like the white gives the white space gives an entrance I think to people who might be intimidated by a short chunky sonnet that they have to like wade through right, you know right. um, so uh, the dialogue let me give even more white space and I think that uh, loosens it up gives the poems a little bit of air to breathe, you
0: know? Yeah, it also creates a nice variety between, from one to the next, you know, the tone of the thing. It's not just all sort of being um, recited. It's it's like in dialogue between people. So that was cool. Um, Let's see. Can you read Fight the Power on uh, page 19? And we'll talk a little bit about that one. Yeah.
1: So this is Fight the Power, uh, Public Enemy, 1989, The lyrics showcase Chuck D's politics, but the video mostly displays Flav's lunatic persona, his crazy-eyed antics as he flashes a gold-toothed grin, Yeah, boy! and raves while the clock, looped around his neck, flows with his sway and counter-sway. The song's about revolt and how most of their heroes don't appear on no stamps. But however they shout and politic, all people across the nation want to know is, What's up with the clock? Chuck D. don't care. Go ahead. Let them obsess. Chuck D. knows that the train's pulling into the station because this is the end of the line. He knows the clock and song both say it's about time.
0: Hmm. Thank you. So I, I, that one really um, moved me. The, the poem and also the video and just sort of the um, the fact that it's 25 years since that was yes. produced, that song. Yes. And, and we've got Ferguson, you know, and, yep. and the...
1: I don't know, it just was really, it really spoke to me. It's, it's, I mean, so many of these songs, they're still relevant, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, we were saying that, uh, you know, you see some of the videos and we laugh at the ridiculous style of some of the early rappers, you know, but, but the lyrics of so many of them are still very pertinent Absolutely. and they can speak to exactly what's going on today. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I think people return to them, not just out of a, a sense of novelty or, like, a sense of discovering the history, but... Um, because they still are um, uh, potent works of art, you know? And, and that's what they,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, they, a lot of them have, like, uh, a, a backbeat underneath starting with somebody else's song, right? So, like, MC Hammer with You Can't Touch This right. starts with Super Freak. Right. Um, J- Rick James. And then um, I think it was um, Vanilla Ice has one that starts out with Queen's yes. song. What yep. was that song? Oh, Under Pressure. Under Pressure, thank you. Right. So is that a hallmark of these songs, more so than in other genres of music? I mean,
1: uh, hip-hop artists have been doing this for, (laughs) you know, since the very beginning, is using other beats, starting with DJ Kul Herc, right? I mean, he would take two records, isolate that little clip that's just the music and no lyrics, and then go back and forth between the two turntables, and it's using other people's music. But making your own out of it. And mm-hmm. I think there's something uh, nice about... I don't know, you know, speaking of tradition, you know, it's... Uh, it's like
0: the, reinventing it's the form again. Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. And so, um, I mean, Paul's Boutique of the Beastie Boys is, is the most amazing album this way because there's there's so many samples, you know. And uh, um, it's fun if you're a music geek to find that sample and then find the song that it came from originally, <laughs> you know. But um, there's something about making it new and taking the art form forward out of the ashes of another old art form, you know? Right. And I think I just
0: heard a reinvention of You Can't Touch This, too. Is that right? I think so. Uh, I might be making that up. Yeah. But I think so. Um, that was really fun to watch. Um, uh, that, that video, and his energy and... M.C. Hammer and, yes. and his pants. Oh my gosh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Those are so much fun. Do you want to read that one? Well, you know, I have to say that uh, I think that... Uh, what year is this? I mean, there was one year that I just... I had too many... Um, songs that I needed to write about, you know, and it was 1990, it was the year of Can't Touch This, and Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, and Digital Underground's Humpty Dance, and CNC Music Factory, Everybody Dance Now, I mean, yeah. and I had to cut some, you know, it was just one of these years where it became so mainstream so quickly, and these are not by any means the best rap songs out there, but that's when things really begun, began to just blow up right. you know for uh, for the scene 1990 that's it I don't know. know
0: if this would be considered hip hop but is, is that around the same time that Arsenio Hall did Things That Make You Go home, and they turned it into a song do you remember that one?
1: yeah uh, I mean Things That Make You Go home is um, uh, that is CNC Music Factory oh it is that's okay. their song yeah so oh, same okay. exact time and they took the it year. from Arsenio
0: though right? you know that I don't know I think it I think it comes from his act mm-hmm. anyway, all right alright do you wanna
1: oh which one am I reading? oh
0: the um, you can't touch this
1: sure All right. You can't touch this. MC Hammer, 1990. On stage, Hammer's pants are amoebic, sleek or billowing, depending on the breeze. The jaunty backbeat of super freak gives form to his liquid moves like a tide. He's thrilled by the way he can start and stop the crowd's adulation with a roll of his hips. On a tour of his mansion, he pops into a room with a remote-control waterfall purling inside. Listen to this. He closes his eyes as the water glances off itself. Sounds like a cloud clapping. Emphasis on the word crowd. Another flick then silence. The mansion is empty. Another flick and grin. And then the sound of applause starts up again. Hmm. Thank you. So that one came about yeah. just from a single detail that I read about a waterfall that he had in his mansion that would start with a, a flick of the uh, um you know, switch. A, a switch, and uh, that was too much for me to <laughs> leave alone, you know. I mean, uh, I originally wanted to write something about, I don't know, his onstage persona, you know, but then that that detail took over, and uh, I- I'm always interested in, in the moments where I have a certain uh, intention with the poem, and I go into it with a certain idea of where it might want to go, Right, and I love when I find something that takes it in a completely different direction altogether, you know? And I actually think that's what um, draws me to the sonnet in the first place, because there's this um, level of, uh, well, you don't have as much control, you know? You don't have, as an author, as much control, because the poem takes over a lot of the control, Right, because the
0: form is going to dictate where you go. Yep. And in order to follow the form, you have to be a little bit more creative and playful.
1: Definitely. Right? I mean, I'm in this for the element of surprise right. for me, you know? Yeah. Um, as the writer, I want to be surprised. I want the poem to take me into a place that I didn't expect to. And then I hope that then a reader can be surprised, mm-hmm. you know? But I'm doubting very much that if I have very too much conscious control of where the content is going to go, I doubt that the reader will be very much surprised. you know. And so, yeah, I think, um, actually, the metaphor that I use in a bunch of my classes is that of a, um, a horse rider, a mm-hmm. horseback rider. Um, and there are two ways you can ride a horse. One way, um, you know, you can hold the reins really tight and tell the horse exactly where to go. Yeah. Um, and then you're not surprised, you know. You tell it where to go and, you, and uh, it goes. Or you can let the reins lie slack a little bit and see where the horse beneath you wants to go. And that's how I think about sonnets or writing in form. Um, You relinquish a little bit of your authorial control, see where the beast beneath you wants to go, and hopefully it takes you somewhere new, somewhere that you didn't expect. And um, that's the exciting part. I think uh, um, I'm skeptical of coming to the page with too much knowledge of, you know, of where I want the piece to go. Um, I want to see, obviously, where it takes me, you know. Do you ever find that that
0: approach makes it take a long time to create a piece now poems maybe uh are faster because they're shorter in the the most most part for the most part but you know do you ever find that a certain poem because you are letting it
1: do that and have control will just like it will linger for a while before before it comes to uh, completion absolutely i mean there are some of these that uh, i mean came in a couple of hours you know um very very quickly and others uh, uh uh, that dragged on, and I just, you know, they didn't present themselves as, uh, the material didn't present itself, uh, the interesting material didn't present itself, um, uh, and a lot of those got cut from the manuscript. <laughs> you know, the manuscript was another 20 poems long originally, and, uh, those all got left on the cutting room floor, um, but I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the wait, you know, for mm-hmm. that moment of surprise. There's the uh, Annie Dillard, the, um, mm-hmm often Annie Diller talks about this unnamed writer of sonnets who just waits for that one line out of 14 that falls from the sky, you know? And she talks about how you you just tap the rest around it with a jeweler's hammer, you know? (laughs) You find that one that just absolutely surprises you and takes you off guard, and ah, that's lovely. That's what you're writing for, is that one line. And then you make the rest of the poem live up to it, you know? Uh,
0: And is she talking about that line coming first?
1: I think uh, that that line as being a surprise somewhere along the process of writing, and not the one, not necessarily the first one, but okay, what you're—that's what you're writing towards. Yeah. that's okay. right. Yeah,
0: okay. yeah. Yep. Right. Great. So, did you ever find it intimidating to write poetry that you felt did justice to this music that clearly means a lot to you?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. it's an, it is intimidating, you know. Uh, I uh, try to write primarily. I don't try to think too much of an audience to begin with, usually. You know, um, with other writing projects I've done, I try to get the audience out of my head altogether because, you know, they come in secondarily. Um, But here, it uh, it was definitely on my mind more than usual because I know that there are huge hip-hop fans and I have to... live up to their expectations you know not that <laughs> not that every hip-hop fans is gonna have this on their bookshelf but they should <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh, there are expectations I think and, uh, and especially um, so many of these songs are popular songs that mean things to people. They, when they hear them, they're brought back to the first time they heard them or they um, remember a certain period of their, period of their lives when uh, when they were listening to them. And so they're sacred, you know, yeah. to a lot of people. And I think, uh, so it's, it's sacred territory, and I wanted to trod lightly on some of them uh, and, uh, and just be a little bit careful, you know.
0: Do you um, have a lot of people in your life that are both... Um interested in hip-hop and interested in poetry?
1: Uh, I, I don't think so. Um,
0: I mean... I mean, clearly you must know a lot of people that are interested in hip-hop and that's you must right. know a lot of people that are interested that's in poetry. That's right. yeah.
1: Um, uh, I think my students <laughs> would there be the first ones I would think of. Right. Uh, you know, if they're in my poetry writing class, they must be somewhat into poetry or want to be into poetry, and a lot of them are very into hip-hop, and mm-hmm. so I actually think it's it's extremely useful to... Uh, uh talk about contemporary art forms in the classroom, because mm-hmm. this is what they're familiar with more than say Shakespeare, you know, right. and it's a way to spur interest and uh, and uh, be on the same page with them right from the get-go. And so if I had to think of people who are into both <laughs> art forms, that they're the ones I think of. Uh, I think
0: the follow-on to that question was going to be, do you find that the poem that the poets or that your friends who appreciate hip hop are more into these poems?.
1: I think, well, what I like about it is that uh, people who are not into poetry can be snared into reading sonnets, you know? Who's going to sit down and read 56 sonnets unless you're, you know, uh, (laughs) some sort of literature geek, you know? Um, But I have found that this subject matter makes for an easy Mm entranceway, and so people who are not into sonnets or not into literature very much um, can kind of uh, feel a little bit more at home here because of the subject matter um, and the same thing goes the other ways you know I think that uh, people who will read this book because they love sonnets and maybe have will have scorned you know contemporary music or something like that you know maybe they would see one of the videos or give one of the songs a listen and uh, be a little bit more open-minded about it so I, I actually do like the idea of the crossover between the two, imagined crowds in my mind right, you
0: know right yeah I, it's funny when I was um watching the videos before this talk there were a couple of the um musicians that I just really didn't know their music at all but I'd heard of them and and it was really interesting to to hear their music and be like oh oh that's that person <laughs>
1: like I, yeah
0: it just didn't know and yeah. so that was kind of fun what are you reading now for your own enjoyment or for school or whatever
1: Uh, Well, I'm reading a lot of student papers. (laughs) It's been a while since I've cracked open a good book. I have been reading um, uh, um, some YA literature, which is not something I have uh, really delved into before, but um, I'm working on a, a fiction project that I think is either middle grade or YA, and so I'm doing a little bit of research
0: you're um, working on it, as in you're writing
1: it. I'm writing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's I have. I'm juggling a bunch of projects right now, particularly because it's the end of the semester, and um, I don't have time to give to too much time to give to each project. So I'm doing a little here and a little there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, after break, um, wh- well, once break starts, I plan to sit down and uh, get comfy in a chair and really start cranking out some more material. That's okay. so, all right. Um, but yeah, so I'm reading. Um, uh, some a, a bunch of YA books, which is something uh, something new for me. Yeah, you know? that's
0: nice. yeah. You end um, with "Make Some Noise" by the uh, Beastie Boys, yeah. in 2011. I wondered if you could read that one. and We can talk about about that sure. and, and your choice to end the collection there.
1: That sounds good. So this is uh, "Make Some Noise," the Beastie Boys, 2011. The three hopping out of a girl-filled limo and swiping champagne from a restaurant stall before the DeLorean. The wind is a canned western effect The wolf and raven calls alien in the cityscape Then out steps, poof, their future selves Awkward silence, then the two groups, six b-boys, have words For the dance-off, they lay down the mat and get to work Simple top-rocking leads to the windmill, the worm Rap, you might think, is no country for old men But this dance floor shows they got it still though grandpa, Grandpa's been rapping since 83. Old men are just coats on a stick unless they prove that the kids they were can show them new moves.
0: Great. So you, you read it as though it were a complete sentence, but I loved how it's... Um it's like I can't remember what the full line is but it's something like rap is no country mm. for old men yes and I love how that kind of looked on the page because it was it said a couple of things at the same time which is one of the joys of reading poetry yes
1: yes the line break right <laughs> the line break
0: is so much fun
1: you know uh, that brings up also uh, uh, that line is Yeats's line you know this is no country for old men right, right. that's uh, Yeats from sailing or a line from sailing to Byzantium so each of the Beastie Voice sonnets I should have said this is filtered through a poem of W. B. Yeats's. Oh, really? So, each one, and this is part of the crazy origins of the project. I just one of the, the first one I was working on. Um, boy, it just illustrated Ye- one of Yeats's poems so perfectly, and I said, "Okay, well, um, I'm setting up a project for myself. Let's see if I can make it a little bit more difficult." And then, so each of the seven sonnets is through a different Yeats poem, and so uh, that funny. was that was part of the uh, fun of the project. Um, I wanted to end the project or end the book with uh, Beastie Boys' poem. There are, As I said, there are seven throughout the entire thing. And I I wanted one group to reappear a number of times to kind of give a backbone to the book, um, some sort of structure. Um, And I thought about doing all sorts of different acts. Uh, There are a handful you can choose from that were there in the very early 80s and are still going today, you know, the roots, right? But... um, one of the things I liked about the Beastie Boys, and which drew me to their uh, to their arc, is that they're kind of despicable in the beginning, you know, and they just um, they're rapping about uh, booze and uh, drugs and women, and they have these really kind of like low chakra thoughts. These are what the <laughs> early early Beastie Boys are all about. Um, but I love how uh, you get to grow up with them, you know, yeah. and so I mean the late MCA. Um, was a Buddhist and did all sorts of work for Free Tibet. And uh, so it's fun for me to see these guys grow up and really, you know, uh, care about the women in their lives and care about people around them and um, kind of shed these uh, personas of... You know, idiotic personas, you know? Right. Um, Which we all
0: have as teenagers. Oh, definitely, definitely. We all have our own idiocy.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, so much, so many of the later Beastie Boys songs can be intensely political, too. And so I just love uh, that they go from hedonistic to really engaged. And so I thought that gave a nice little arc to the book. And, uh, um, Like I said, it's a little bit of glue that holds the whole project together, you know.
0: And now you allude to the content of the video in the poem. Yeah. Uh, The content of the video sort of has them coming up against an older set of (laughs) themselves later. Although they don't play either group. They're like not present. It's these actors who right. play everybody. Right? Yep, yep. But the, in a way, it's they're sort of making that same kind of statement that you're talking about, yes. right? Yep. Yeah, yep. Which is why it's even more the perfect poem to end
1: with. They know this, right? I mean, they yeah. know who they were and, you know, I think, uh, I wouldn't say they're ashamed, <laughs> but they, they, uh, they know that they've grown up mm-hmm. and um, they see how wildly different the lyrics from Licensed mm-hmm. to Ill, their first uh, album was, to, you know, the last two that they did are just, Vastly, vastly different. And so, that's what the Beastie Boys do best—they make fun of themselves, yeah. you know. And so, I think that's uh, definitely fitting.
0: Okay, great. Um, I do have one last question for you. What advice might you have for prose writers or poets? Uh, what advice might you have for people who want to do something a little sa- outside the box? Um, maybe seeking structure and not knowing where to find the structure that they'd like to work into mm. any ideas?
1: I mean, what I say to students and uh, anybody who asks really is read yeah. read as much as you possibly can I think it's important to know what the tradition is because you can't be avant-garde <laughs> unless you know what you're working with and what you're working against right. you know? and so part of the pleasure in any art it can be poetry, fiction, sculpture is knowing the bounds of what has been done before you and then nudging those bounds and pushing it further and uh, um, seeing if you can make it work. I mean, that's part of the excitement of art is doing something that has not necessarily been done before. Yes, taking parts of things that have been done, but then, you know, making a new combination or something. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's the exciting part is, is uh, finding new ground to cover.
0: Okay, Great. Um, This was really fun. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stephen Kramer. You can learn more about his work at his website, stephenkramer.wordpress.com, and his name is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Write the Book and The Radiator are supported in part by Calamity and Crow's Trading Post, twisting fresh tie-dyes for individuals, businesses, and organizations with standards like eyeballs, cherry bears, peace signs, and their signature tie-dyed mule. Custom artisan tie-dyes that rock. Contact Calamity and Crow's Trading Post on Facebook. This week's Write the Book prompt was generously offered by my guest Stephen Kramer. He likes to assign this to his students because it presents the challenge of describing something ethereal like music that doesn't have a form that you can touch or see. You have to turn to metaphor a lot and to the description from the senses. Words like velvety, sharp, and bright. So this week's prompt is to write about music and see if you can use synesthesia, one sense expressed in terms of another, to launch your piece into some new, unexpected place. Linda Hull's poem, Hollywood Jazz, has at least two instances of synesthesia, if you'd like to read one that Stephen recommends. Good luck with this exercise, and please listen next week for another. If you're interested in sharing this show with out-of-town friends, let them know they can stream it live at theradiator.org every Monday from 2 to 3. Archived episodes of Write the Book are also available on iTunes and at writethebook.podbean.com as free podcasts. You can visit Write the Book on Twitter and Write the Book Radio Show on Facebook for updates. You can also access the podcast and my new blog, The Silent G, by going to my own website, shelaughswithoutus.com. If you have a guest to suggest or comments about the show or news about book-related events, please send an email to writethebook at gmail.com. Do remember that this station is here thanks to community support and involvement. More information about The Radiator is available online at theradiator.org. This has been Write the Book. I'm Shayla Shapiro, and you're listening to The Radiator, 105.9 FM, WOMMLP, Burlington, Vermont.